Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have special guest across the world in the future. Yep. At the, to- at the, the future. <laughs> we have author Allie Blake. Welcome to the podcast, ma'am. How has 2021 been for you? How are you doing? Introduce yourself. I don't even know we need to go. How's 2021 been? I think we just kind of, you know, it's, it's that weird thing of when we used to say, ah, 2020. And then it's like, do you say, ah, 2020, 2021? It's just a blur, but you know, <laughs> we're right. So yeah, hi, Ali Blake. I'm I'm across the world from you guys in Australia, um, which clearly isn't a problem because as I was talking about before we started, I'm obsessed with your podcast. So I know that you've interviewed authors from the UK and from the States and from all over the place. So it's, yeah, it's brilliant. All those accents are so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you so much we're so excited we're Yay! so excited that you're here with us today absolutely sarah do you want to kick us off with some icebreakers yes if you came with a warning label what would it say oh my gosh um i'm a bit of a pollyanna in that i tend to kind of look at the bright side of things all the time which I think in my head is a nice thing, but it probably makes me a little bit insufferable when it comes to arguments. So it's it's funny. It's something I've realized of late is that, um, and I've realized this comes from being an author, that when I hear someone tell me a story about something, my brain always goes to, but why did they do that? So I, f- I find that I look at people's motivations as to why they do things and whether it's something they've done that's good or whether it's something that they've done that's terrible. So... I've realized this, that, you know, when you're having a, you know, a big whinge with someone and all they want is for you to go, yeah, that's true. But no, I'm the one going, but what happened in their childhood to make them do this way? Or what happened in their day at work? And so I think (laughs) this is like, I should have this over my head. Like you're talking to an author whose job it is to look at people's motivations as to why they do things. So just, you're not going to get that from me. So (laughs) that's my warning label. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, for sure. What's one thing you find yourself nostalgic for? Oh, gosh. Um, Probably really immediately is my kids when they were babies. I'm my kids. I have three kids and they're 10, 12 and 13. And I've kind of come to this realization that when they were little, it was great that I had them so close together. I had three in three years because the nappy stuff gets out of the way quickly. The you know all the all the kind of sleepless nights got out of the way quickly. But now that they're heading into high school and teenagerhood, and you can kind of see this roller coaster of them rooming out of the house, it's like suddenly there's that's all going to happen really quickly <laughs> as well. So I'm really in that looking at, you know, when Facebook memories come up and it has pictures of cute things when they were babies and it's just doing my head in at the moment. So I'm done. I'm not having any more kids. I'm completely happy that our family is complete, but <laughs> oh my gosh, just I'm going through one of those. I understand why why people have, you know, that late in life kid when, you know, the, the cuteness factor of looking back at those baby pictures. Yeah. Really, it's a real thing for me at the moment. So I'll have to see the book. It'll have yeah. to go into a book and that's how I'll exercise those demons. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> um, if you could time travel, would you go to the past to meet one of your ancestors or to the future to meet your descendants? Oh, future for sure. Like I'd love to kind of see what happens from here. Like I'd love to see, again, it's like I'm obsessed with my kids. So I think it's that thing of I'd love to see 
you know, if and when how their lives play out or how, um, you know, you know, if they have kids, like what their kids are like, I think that would be that would be dreamy to be able to sort of look over, hover over and see how, how things turn out for everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be awesome. On your website, you write that one of the things you love is binging on Netflix. What was the last thing you binged watched? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I was up very late last night. and I'm not, I'm not a reality TV viewer. I think I'm far too sensitive to the fact that so many people who get chosen for these shows are chosen so that everybody can laugh at them. And that makes me st- just makes me cringy. But Glow Up, I don't know if you guys have watched Glow Up. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, I, yeah, I was up. I must have watched like four episodes till very late last night seeing how that one turned out. So that's been probably my latest binge. But I love, and Shadow and Bone I really loved recently and really looking forward to The Crown on Disney I've been watching lots of um, lots of old movies that I actually own on DVD but now that they're if they're on Disney somehow that I end up watching them on there um, and we've got Prime so I'm really looking forward to uh, Nine Perfect Strangers which I'm sure I'm pretty sure came out last night for you guys so it would have come out today I think for us yes really I, I'm, the book I love the book um, Australian author and it was filmed here in Australia so very much looking forward to that one we love romance origin stories how did you become a romance reader I think it's it's funny. It's like I see all of these these little kind of moments and, and parts from my my history and my family history that just like embedded this in me. So my mum was a romance reader and she'd read, she told me stories about how Mills and Boons are a really good size when you're up at two o'clock in the morning and you're feeding a baby and you can actually hold them in one hand. And so she used to read Mills and Boone constantly when I was, <laughs> when she was feeding me. So I think it's like infused into me from that um my grandmother had (laughs) bags and bags of mills and boons under her spare bed and so when we'd go and visit it would literally be down on hands and knees going through these dusty bags finding out you know all the ones that she got from the secondhand store and just going yep 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 secret baby yep 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 uh that was a prince yep 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 and just like taking bags and bags of them home um before before that it would have been stealing books from my uh from my cousins the sweet dreams and the sweet belly highs and yeah, I just was obsessed with them. Yes, that, yes, I know, I know you guys. Yes, you're with me there. Um, but yeah, so I've I still have in yeah. my sort of treasure chest of tre- treasure chest of like special memories from my childhood. I have my very favorite Sweet Dreams book, which was called Programmed for Love. And I just and I and I honestly think the kind of books mm-hmm. that I write now are informed by the stories that I really love, the particular stories I love. By that. Them. So I think the heroes are really similar to the kind of heroes that I really liked in those books. I think something was really sort of embedded in as the types of books that I like to write. Um, And I've actually got, I've actually started like kind of recollecting. So I think all those books, apart from that one that I never gave back to my cousins, they've all kind of gone by the wayside over the years. So if I ever see any online, I'll I'll grab the old ones. I haven't reread them as yet, but one day, one day. But yeah, so I just, this, there was, my (laughs) mum introduced me to like she loved old you know old romance movies and old Doris Day movies and so that was the kind of things that we used to watch together and um went through different stages of reading like I was really obsessed with kind of fantasy when I was in high school and I'll read nowadays I read pretty much anything and everything kind of whatever glittery sparkly thing catches my eye at the time but romance is definitely what I read the most still but when I first when I first sat down to um to write a book because I always love writing I would I'd write if nobody read 
what I wrote. And I used to write screenplays in the hopes that I wanted to be in movies. I wanted to be a, an Academy Award winning actor slash director specifically. So it had to have that whole entire title. <laughs> so, I, I, so I wrote screenplays and loved it. But um, <clears throat> when I first sat down and thought I'd try to write a book instead, it was like this whole different feeling that sitting down to write chapter one instead of writing screen one, it was like just this kind of visceral feeling came over me of like this just felt so much more in my wheelhouse, whether I, I can write longer, I can I could write more prose, not just dialogue. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so mm-hmm. the kind of getting into that. And the first thing that I ever wrote when I was trying to write a book was just a romance novel without even having any plans for where it was going to go, if it was going to get published. It was just this story in my head that I that I had to get out. So um, so all of those, without without even kind of making a plan to head that way, that's just what comes out of my fingertips is is romance because it's just in, it's just part of me. It's ingrained. Yeah. It is ingrained. <laughs> I feel like we need to buddy read a sweet dreams now. Uh, no, I think we definitely need to buddy read a sweet dreams. <laughs> well, if you guys, if you guys find, if you guys find one, there's a chances are I've got it. So I'd be able to. Would have to do like a little read along together. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, at what point in your life did you realize you wanted to pursue writing professionally? Um, well, it was kind of a. I was always. I, I had lots of different jobs. Um, when I was in my early 20s and, as I said, I'd, I'd write constantly and I was I was involved with um, people trying to put together skit shows for TV and all sorts of things. So I was just always loved being around, loved being involved in creative pursuits. And <clears throat> when I wrote that first book that I was I mentioned earlier, it, I, I actually finished it, which is a huge thing for anyone who's keen on writing. Lots of people say that they'd love to write a book one day and it's that first three chapters can be just just super super easy and then it hits a point you're like what happens next and it's to actually finish a book is a is a really big thing and so I finished this book which will never see the light of day it was terrible it was just cliched and it was I can't even it was just every bad thing that nobody would want to read I'm sure but but having finished it I think it really showed me that I could finish a book which was a really big step and then my husband and I just got married We moved from Brisbane to Melbourne and we had a bit of time up our sleeves. We planned to go to Melbourne to, Melbourne's a very cultural city, very sporting city. We'd planned to, it's got beautiful locations to visit. We just thought we're going to go for a year and blow all our money and just like have fun for a year in this city that we love. And so we had time on our hands. And so I sat down and started to write the next book. And that one there, I think I'd learnt from the first one. I kind of learnt that's the stuff that I don't want to do. But there were bits in that first book that I thought, oh, I actually really like that. When I read it back, it makes me laugh or it makes me feel tingly or so I kind of had learned <laughs> what I did wrong, but then I also learned some parts of what I thought I did right. So again, sat down to kind of write write another book, not not really having any plans to do anything with it. It was just this compulsion that I had to do. And partway through it, mm. I just sort of thought, what, what do you do? Like how do you sell a book to a publisher? It was a romance novel. It was definitely a romance novel and having read, still having read Mills and Boone sort of on and off for years, it was one of those things that I'd, I'd dip into and become obsessed with for a while and then move on to being obsessed with something else because that's how my brain works. And so I knew, I sort of thought that was the first place mm-hmm. I looked at the Mills and Boone website and went, how, how do you sell a book to Mills and Boone? And they're great and lots of publishers are <laughs> 
clear about this now, but Mills and Boone have always been brilliant at making it really clear how you go about submitting a book to them and what they're looking for at the time. So it was super easy to go on and say, this is the kind of thing we're looking for. This is where you send it. This is the name of the person you send it to. So I'd sort of hit a point with this book where I was most of the way through it and I just thought, actually, I think there might be something here, but if I could let's just go through the process for the fun of it. So I'd sent in, uh, I'd sent in the first, I think I'd sent in a proposal, which just gave a bit of a synopsis of the book uh, and the first three chapters as well, because that's what they were after at the time. And many, many, many months later, um, by this stage, I'd been writing, I'd actually joined up a couple of romance writing forums, what I got chatting to other romance, you know, romance authors or hopeful romance mm-hmm. authors in Australia. And what I was hoping for at the time was something I called a good rejection, because There's form rejections you can get from publishers which say, thank you so much for submitting, but it's not what we're looking for at this time. But I'd heard about this thing, which was a good Mm -hmm, rejection, which was where they actually said, well, this is what we thought was really great. This is what we thought you could work on. We don't necessarily want to see this book again, but there's some possibility there. So I was like, that would be amazing to get feedback because for an editor, like at the time, I think Mills and Boone were getting something like 20,000 unsolicited manuscripts every year. So that's unsolicited on top of all of the ones wow. that they were yeah. authors. And they'd pick up maybe 10 new authors a year out of that. Like the, the statistics were crazy, but they would actually go through and read, at least sort of skim through, read every single submission that came in. So for someone to take time, for an editor to take time and actually give you feedback is huge. Like that's a, that's amazing. So mm-hmm. I'm there hoping for my good rejection yeah. and then – Got the letter to say, got a letter. It was all letters back then, so letters back and forth, no no emailing back then. Um, this was kind of the early 2000s. And then had a letter back saying, we like the first three chapters, could you send the rest of the book? I was living in Melbourne. I was going to the footy. I was mm. going to the snow. We were doing all the fun things. I hadn't finished the book. So it was like panic stations of like, oh, okay, okay, I've got to actually finish it now, which it gave, I gave myself a, you know, a good couple mm-hmm. of months. To, to finish it to a point where I was happy as happy with it as I could be and then sent that off and it's a long time in publishing. Mm-hmm. So then months and months and months later that I um, had another an email at this stage, I think, saying this is not an offer to buy but would you be willing to make some revisions on it? And this was just suddenly getting serious. It was, it was like how, how did I suddenly get to this stage? It was very exciting and very nerve-wracking and I had no idea what, you know, what to do and I you know, again, I said I met I met a couple of people online who were great with advice of like this is this is serious, this is very very cool. Like, t- really take your time to to do the work properly because you know this is an opportunity a lot of people don't get. And so I it was like, yes, of course, I'll do anything, I'll make any changes. So I was you know very willing to to have a crack at making the changes, mm-hmm. which were all necessary and all very um, very clearly set out. And um, from there, I got an email saying so this is from Bryony Green who's one of the editors that you had a chat with and had an email from her saying are you awake mm-hmm. we'd like to do a call so I got this email at early on Saturday morning because their timing's like you and I it's like for them it was like late Friday afternoon but by the time I got it she would have already gone home so this mm-hmm. is like Saturday morning I woke up and went I've got this email, but she's now gone home for the weekend. So the whole weekend, I'm just like in absolute. Oh gosh, oh no. Of like, it, she might just be ringing to, for more revision. She might be ringing to say thank you so much, but no, thank you. Like, there's no guarantees with any of this. So uh, it was really late Monday night by the time mm-hmm. the phone rang about ten o'clock Monday night. By that stage, I was like no fingernails. I was just a wreck. 
And then the phone rang and my husband answered it just to be like, it's super cool. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even answering the phone. And then brought it over to me and, you know, Bryony being Bryony was just, just so delightful. I'm like, so how are you? And what's the weather like? And asked all these kind of small talk questions while I'm just there going, put me out of my misery. And so, and then she said, we love the book. We'd like to buy it. It was just <laughs> nutty. Like I still oh. remember every single moment of that. I remember what I was wearing, where I was sitting. I remember what was on TV. It was just the coolest thing and for after that I don't remember anything else of the conversation at all because it was just a bl- it was just a blow so at the end of it I said everything we've, everything we've spoken about today would you mind sending it to me in an email because I can't remember any of it she was like yep she's she'd been there before she knew exactly what I was going through so um but yes it was yeah so that's how I went from being a big romance reader to the first thing I that, that's that's just naturally what came out of me to being ridiculously lucky to sell the first book that I'd submitted. So, which is nutty. Timing, wow. luck, all, all of those things come into it as well, that what I had written was just what they were looking for at that exact time as well. So, you know, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you fairy dust, fairy dust, I'll take it. <laughs> oh. So was that the wedding wish? That was the wedding wish, yeah. So that one there I'd... Um, okay, so that yeah, one released in January. Yes, so that was January 2004. So that was, And then after that, you had marriage material. So yeah, how did that come about? One thing I do probably remember from the phone call, we talked a little bit about my writing name and things like that, but we also talked about, and I think this is something that, that's really good to know for people who are keen on writing, is within that very first phone call was, we'd love to buy this, what else do you have? Because when a publisher buys an author, they're not mm-hmm. just looking to buy a book, they're looking to buy a career. They're looking to buy... Mm-hmm. Um, someone who can, that they can help develop over time. And then when people say, discover you three, four years later, there's a backlist to go into, which is what as readers we love. Like when you find a new author who has mm-hmm. five or six books behind them, and you're like, bonus, that's just, you know, that's the best. So, um, so I sent them a couple of little ideas that I had that, that very politely was told were not what they were not necessarily ones that I would particularly want to follow up with. Um, so, but it's funny. It's like that that first book you you can spend your whole life writing to a point, and then the second book, it's like so deliver something in six months or three months or whatever whatever you decide is the the right amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole funny thing. So there's a whole like second book syndrome is a really common thing that the first book. You can sell it, but you don't know why you sold it. It's like, what about it was was hit the money? So, um, so yeah, the second book was it was a really funny one. So, and I'm I'm kind of difficult, and this hasn't really changed over time. In that, uh, for for a brand like Mills and Boone, and for for readers of romance, we love tropes, we love hooks, we love to know that's a cowboy book. Great, I love cowboy mm-hmm. books. That's a, that's a secret baby book. I'm so not into those. So it's like the, the, the branding of those tropes and hooks is is a really important thing because romance readers tend to be voracious readers. And so they like, they can kind of make decisions really, really quickly on the information that they're given. So most of my books tend to be just a, a story that comes out of something that I think sounds fabulous and amazing, but don't tend to be as hooky or tropey um, as a lot of the other ones. So my hooks tend to be mm-hmm. a little bit more off to the way, you know, off to the side. Um, so this one here, it ended up being about a divorce lawyer and the hero was the client on the other side. So he was getting, so the very first time they meet, he's getting divorced and he's the opposition person, which is just, you know, as a second time writer, 
setting myself up for like a bit of a challenge. Like how how do they get out of this one? And that hasn't really changed over time. It's my muse who is a real thing who sits here. He's male and he's a devil and mm-hmm. he wants he wants what he wants. And if, you know, I've got to follow down that path if I want to get anything done. So I blame him. For anyone listening who has yet to read a Harlequin romance or a Mills and Boone forever true love, how would you describe the line to them? Um, it's funny. It's like I've been writing for them, as you said, since 2004. So it's, you know, heading on to 20 years now. And mm-hmm. they've, there's, there's, there's part, and, and over time things have, you know, shifted and changed a little bit, but really at their heart, things haven't changed since, since back then, which is that um, something I was told a long time ago, which and none of these are sort of hard and fast rules, of course, but that you'll often find that presents books, Harlequin presents books are about the hero or that's kind of the focus, whereas Harlequin romance books, the focus is sort of more on the heroine, which again, not hard and fast, but I think that walking okay. a mile, in, the walking a mile in the heroine's shoes has always been quite a thing for the Harlequin romance mm-hmm. books. So the heroine tends to be someone that you can feel like you'd know or feel like you could be or feel like you really understand. So to kind of slip into her mm-hmm. persona while you're traversing this book um, is something that I feel is really important for the Harlequin romance line. And the heroes, mm-hmm. the, the thing about Harlequin romance is it's, it has a really broad scope. I think of all the all the series romance lines, the scope is actually really broad and that can be sort of small town or it can be very glamorous or it can have like a huge range of settings, international mm-hmm. or, you know, very community-based. And um, But, yeah, you have the, that walk a mile in the heroine shoes and a hero that I love actually. I actually looked up the, um, the guidelines um, before we chatted and it says on the guidelines here, a hero that we can immediately trust which I think is something that I hadn't really mm. put into words, but I, I went, I, that, I really, I feel that, that I think as soon as, as soon as my heroes come yeah. on the page, even if there's, you know, cause there's, there's gotta be conflict or else there's, there's no point. We're not going to read the story. So, but the, the hero is still someone in, in yeah. a Harlequin romance novel that, you know, is going to do the right thing and be careful with her. And there's there's those levels of kind of loveliness about the Harlequin romance heroes um, that are intrinsic to mm-hmm. all the books, no matter where, no matter where they're set. Um, and the the sensuality too, I think, is something that's probably been a, most of the time in Harlequin romance has been a little bit more cl- closed door. Um, but again, there's quite a range um, of authors and stories within that. But Nowadays, the the sensuality level has definitely opened up. Um, so, but that would be more focused on kind of the emotional components rather than the rather than the sort of more graphic detail of um, of any sort of more sensual scenes and things mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. So, I think that thing. I think the hero and heroine <laughs> dynamic is the thing that's really clear in the Harlequin romance. But within that, apart from that, there's you can go anywhere and you do anything and be anyone, which is fun. So according to what we could see on fictiondatabase.com, which is kind of like our Bible, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, you had a couple of titles listed as Mills and Boone Modern Romance Extras. So we saw Getting Down to Business and Steamy Surrender. Can you share with us what these extras were? Were they part of anthologies? Were they reprints? And how did they come to be? Sorry, that was... um, So I'd written... For Harlequin romance from the very beginning and that's just where I naturally fit it's just 
that's the pocket that I sit in. And even after 20 years, it just still, that's my real comfy space. Um, how getting down to business mm-hmm. came about was I'd, I think it was after I'd had my first baby and after having written books that were, because Hulk and Romance books are quite emotional and quite, um, they often might be about single parents or, or you know, there's family situations and things. And when you have a newborn baby at home, the idea of writing about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff was just like oh, anything else please and so I started writing something that was kind of more young fun like early 20s no thoughts of family no single parents I just had this idea that was completely outside of that and had a new editor at the time because Bryony was away on maternity leave so it was a new editor I think I just had a baby and I was trying to write my next book and I had this idea and I'm quite good my brain's a bit I'm a bit scattered so good chance I have undiagnosed ADD. And so I can very easily write two books at a time, three books at a time. And so I'd been, I was writing a romance novel, but had this idea wow. and thought, oh, I'll, write, I'll, write down the note, I'll write down the notes with this other idea and gave myself a couple of days because it was just really couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head. And I ended up writing 25,000 words in about three or four days. And so I went, okay. And then I thought, well, rather than, wow. I can't keep going down this rabbit hole indefinitely without knowing if it's going to be anything. So I emailed my new editor and said, I've had this idea and I don't know if it's like, because in, in Australia at the time we called they were called Sweet Romance was the Harlequin Romance and then Sexy Romance mm-hmm. was the that was the Presents. So I said to my editor, I don't know if this is a sexy, sweet mm-hmm. book or a sweet, sexy book or if it just doesn't fit anywhere, but can I send it to you? So I sent it to her and she was like, I love mm-hmm. it, write it. I know where I want to put it. It's this new kind of line that we're starting up, which is basically going to be exactly that, like a – sweet, sexy, sexy, sweet um, kind of line. So I was like, rip up. And so that was um, Getting Down to Business and Steamy Surrender both came out under that line. And they're the only two books that I wrote that didn't come out in North America because it was a brand new line that they were just starting out in the UK. And that from there morphed into eventually those kind of books did start coming out as, as Harlequin Presents Extra as well so those two didn't didn't end up but then kind of a whole lot of books started so they had a few authors who were in that kind of middle kind of ground that they weren't presents style but wanted to write something a little bit hotter than the suite so it was kind of somewhere in between so we kind of used to call it like the presents hero's younger brother so it was that so he's not the kind of alpha alpha presents you know I'm going to be I'm going to be the king but he's like the little brother who gets to be a little bit more kind of hey Mm -hmm. It's the spare who gets to be a little bit more kind of sassy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of morphed into into that, which then eventually morphed mm-hmm. into the Harlequin Kiss kind of line. So it was kind of this evolution over a number of years. Um, and so I wrote for okay. romance and for, I wrote for both lines for a few years in the middle there as well. So I got to kind of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, stick to my roots, but also try something a little bit different as well, which was super fun. Oh, okay, okay, it makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah no, it does. <laughs> um, the magnet. Uh, I can never say that word. <laughs> it's like magnet, magnet, magnet indecent magnet. proposal. Yes, mispronouncing things is my thing, unfortunately. <laughs> Released in two thousand and eight under Harlequins presents Mills and Boone Modern Line on top of three Romance Forever titles you published that year. How did writing presents modern happen? Yeah, so it was, I think things from that 
that um, the modern extra books, so those kind of sweet, sexy books, they they kind of mm-hmm. morphed into that, yeah, that little presents little brother kind of thing. So I think the books did change to become, they definitely weren't presents novels. There was, there's, you guys know, you guys are, are, are readers mm-hmm. of presents. You know that there's a really specific um, level of kind of sensuality yep. and, and drama and melodrama and excess mm-hmm. and all of those things which make presents so, so popular. Whereas the the modern extra and the presents extra were tended to be kind of they'd skew a bit younger, they'd skew a bit more kind of sexy sassy, um, mm-hmm. which really suited a lot of us. A whole bunch of us who were writing writing for that line who it just suited us to a T. So I think there's almost like those kind of harking back to the old sort of head, the the temptations or the um, that a little bit you could have a bit more rom com yes. in them as well. So, um, because there was no kind of place for that within any of the mm-hmm. series lines at the time. So, but yeah, the Magnates Indecent Proposal, however that's pronounced, um, was de- one of my absolute <laughs> one of my reader favorites, one of my best sellers. That one there was a book that I think I wrote and tore apart, and it was just a really tricky book to write. But when it came out, it just everything about it kind of fell into place and. It won the Romantic Times Award for Best Presents for that year, which was just nutty. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, which was so, so cool. Um, but, it's yeah, it's one that I still have a real soft spot for and something I think when I mentioned earlier about mm-hmm. my muse who doesn't like, you know, tropes and hooks and things, I, I'd be perfectly happy to write any kind of trope or hook if it, if it came to me. But had these two characters meet in the the very first sort of opening page or two where they were, it kind of shows its time about you know 10, 15 mm-hmm. years ago that they met in a, a restaurant, a cafe, where you weren't allowed to take your phone into the cafe because people were in the cafe hated people being on their phone. So you had to kind of like check your phone in at the at the counter. And when they came back, when they mm-hmm. came to get their phones, the two of them had the same phone, accidentally went home with the wrong phone. So a bit of a meet cute and then they're I not together. For the, next, for the next 70 <laughs> or 80 pages, the two of them are not on the page together. Because they're yep. just literally getting the wrong phone calls, and then, you know, the the best friends kind of the best friends in this book are just hilarious. They just kind of jump in, going, "Let's check out the photos. And let's check out like you know, just they're kind of like learning about each other from their yeah. phones, from having to kind of talk to each other about well, when are we going to get our oh. phones back." And so a good you know a good first third of the book, mm-hmm. they're not even on, they're not even on the page together, which I don't know how I got away with that, but it, I must have been able to make it work, um, considering the whole point of. The series romance, especially because they're so tightly written, it's like the hero and heroine being on the page together is so important because the entire story is about you know the, the yeah. evolution of their relationships. So not having them on the page, but still being able to have their um, have their relationship kind of move and shift and grow um, was so much fun. But yeah, I love mm-hmm. that book. So okay, one of the things that we were we came across and we had questions about while we were sleuthing. Yeah. We were looking you up is okay. So your book, the wedding date released in 2011 and it's listed as part of the Mills and Boone Reva series. What is that? Can you talk about it? (laughs) Cause we had never heard of it. Right. So Reva was like a, um, again, kind of the next step in that same kind of evolution here. So, um, Reva was, I think it only came out in the UK and they actually had category books. I know you guys, you know, people who don't have the, don't have video on, but I'll show you guys the cover here. So this is the Reva here where they took a bunch of the, those 
Modern Extra presents extra books and release them in a kind of single title format. So that way they were able to sell them in mm-hmm. not with the series books um, where they have the series book stands. They actually had them in a different part of the bookstores to try to get different kind of readers who might not necessarily, who might love those kinds of books but don't actually know that they can find them within those series stands to find the books another way. So, okay. I, yes, I was lucky enough. There was there was a handful of the, the modern extra books that were chosen to come out as Reva, so they got this really pretty. Wow. Which is such a UK I thing. I love the it? cover on that. Yeah, so cute. It's just it kind of re- that's why I love it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the duets covers. Yes, see, and it's yeah. that same that kind of trying to find that place to have that rom com kind of feel within that within the series. So yeah, yeah, which is just what I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. oh, they're fun. This one had a different uh, a different title in this in America as well. So um, which I think oh, is really okay. interesting. So most of the time when the books come out, they have the same title all through sort of English-speaking countries. Yep. Uh, but this one here was called The Wedding Date in the UK. But in, let me see, in Australia and in America, it was called The Rogue Wedding Guest. So because The Wedding Date would not have been a, okay. a hook or strong enough title for Presents since that one came out as a Presents Extra, whereas when they're trying to sell mm-hmm. it as a title having it called the wedding date sort of was a much better fit for where they wanted to position it in the bookstores so interesting no that's very cool like uh, hearing you talk about the presents extra books and stuff and as someone who's been reading or who read a lot of the kiss line when it first came out I can absolutely see what you're talking about how it's like that perfect blend (laughs) which is probably why I loved the kiss line so much Um, but how did you start writing for that line for kiss for Kiss. Um, so I'm trying to think which was my first Kiss book. So, again, it was part of that same kind of evolution from the those modern extra books. But when it when it turned into Kiss, it definitely had more of a rom-com kind of mandate to it. So it was just it was, yeah. it was a really free kind of free-for-all. If you have a wacky idea for some absolute hilarious crazy kind of um setup just let us know and we'll let us know and we'll let it happen was it the secret wedding dress so, uh, yeah the secret wedding dress another absolute favorite of mine so the hero in this one is just okay he's just a bear of a man oh. he's i was very much into true blood at the time so it was like Elsie from true blood was was um <laughs> was may have been slightly inspirational in the writing of that one and um but, oh my gosh they the the kiss line was was one where the authors who were writing for it too just felt so blessed and so lucky to be a part of it because it was just we all loved each other's stories we loved each other's books the personalities of the writers were just they were cracker women just writing these books so much fun and um <laughs> yeah, so I had about four books in the Harlequin Kiss line and they were definitely the sexiest books that I've written because I tend to skew sweet and I think it probably comes from like when I was mm-hmm. writing my first books I'd think one day my mum's gonna read this and so that would kind of be like this little kind of you know <laughs> angel on my shoulder I think without even thinking about it it was kind of part of it at the the beginning or maybe and so when it got when it came to this and she's fine like she'll read anything she's a big reader um but then it probably came to the fact of my 
dad's probably going to read this, which is probably even worse. So there was when those books came out, I'd have to say to mum, just just maybe like page 73 to 78, we'll just tell dad, you know, staple those ones together and then dad can read the rest of it. So. <laughs> I love what I do, but it's like just the whole idea of like my dad reading that is just does my head in. So I, so I think probably why it took me a number of years to kind of build up the concept to be able to write those kind of sexier books. So, um, but yeah, gosh, they were mm-hmm. they were so much fun. Yeah, it was super super sad when when that line closed mm-hmm. down. We just had such a ball writing. I know how yeah. how this is how how much the readers who love those stories were just. That was just their absolute pocket. So they really mm-hmm. missed Yeah, there's something about Kiss that I just feel like it would be so good right now. Yeah. You know? it's, yes. it's weird. It's like, it's, it, yeah, there's a definite. It just feels like it would fit perfectly in today's world. Yep. Yep. It is. I think mm-hmm. something for mm-hmm. They're very free and very just kind of let loose and. They're very, they're the kinds of ones that you do, like I'm smi- my cheeks are hurting from smiling just from thinking about them, but they are those kind of books that you just read with this kind of like grin on your face because they're, they're so much fun. So, yep. yeah, but there's, a, I mean, that's the thing. It's the great thing is like all of those ones are still available on ebooks. So the lovely thing about that is if anybody discovers yeah. them, there's, there's, there's heaps of them that you can still go down and you can still track down and buy now. So the backlist books are all still out there. So, well, you also have titles under entangled publishing's indulgent series. So what was your journey to publishing with them? Like, yeah, so that was, um, all kiss authors who were, cause I said, we were just, we just got along so, so, so well. And, a bunch of us were talking about, uh, what you know, if we wanted to do something a little bit different, what could we do? Wouldn't it be fun if we just like got together and wrote something just like completely wacky, and and had a <laughs> just before, it was like a, just kind of one of these conversations, you know, that you have late at night, just thinking that would be that would be hilarious, that would be so much fun. And so in the end, Kelly Hunter, Kimberly Lang, and Anna Cleary, and I, mm-hmm. kind of the four of us, were kind of thought we'd actually really love to do this. So. Uh, one of the one of the girls had an in with Entangled at the time and said, well, how about, how about, because Entangled were newish at the time, and we thought, how about we just see whether if we can pitch something to them and see whether they'll go for it. And so we, um, without even having an idea of what we were going to do, she just got in touch and said, look, we're lo- looking to maybe do like four novellas that would be all linked. What do you think? And they're like, super, great, go for it. So then we just went, it was like, we were on like happy juice or something because we would just, our ideas got more and more silly and more and more huge and more and more ridiculous and more and more that we just loved them desperately <laughs> about this, about this wedding, this upcoming wedding <clears throat> that was set in Louisiana. So it was three Australian authors and one Southern Belle. So the Australian authors, all we know about Louisiana <laughs> is, you know, or all we know about the South and Southern weddings would be from watching Gone with the Wind or things like that. So we are coming at it from, from, from very much, <laughs> Lack of knowledge of that movies that we've seen in books. So the idea, so poor Kim, poor Kimberly would be like, she'd just very, very kindly have to keep reining us in to make sure that everything we were doing was, you know, legal in the state of Louisiana. And so we had, um, it was set on an upcoming wedding. So Honey Delacour, no, Honey Moreau, I think, was going to marry Brent Delacour in the, in the like the big southern wedding of the decade. And so it was all these stories of these four girls who were going to be part of the wedding. So Eve was the uh, last-minute wedding planner who had a secret past and no, that was Grace. And then Eve <clears throat> wanted to break up the wedding because she used to work for the groom and decided that she wanted to marry him. And then Nina, 
which was Kelly Hunter's, had she was the br- bride's sister and had run away to join the circus and was coming back to be part of the wedding. Like it was just loopy. <laughs> and then my book was the last one about Pippa, who was the groom's high school girlfriend who had also been friends with the bride was coming back into town so it was gonna like gossip 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 and the name of the the name of the book was when honey got married so each of the titles would kind of finish off that that tights that title so the whole series was when honey got married so it was like when honey got married um nina tempted the lord and when honey got married uh Grace felt the heat or something. like it was that it was sort of all of the all of the stories and I had when honey got married Pippa bared all so kind of the titles all kind of finished it off and then I wrote a little epilogue at the end of it which was um when honey got married and then at the end it was and honey lived happily ever after so she got her own little little story at the end of my book as well it was wow so oh, much- I love it it was it was delightful and all of the stories were just were funny and sexy and it was, yeah, it was such a blast. We had an absolute ball writing those books. So, And then I ended up writing a, another book with Entangled, uh, part of a trilogy, like a rock star trilogy with Christine Bell and Robin Covington, which was another really cool experience. Like I, lo- I love writing books mm-hmm. with other authors. It's one of my favourite things to do. Can you tell us about your Cinderella project series that you published with Tool Publishing? Sure. Um, so Kelly Hunter again, who uh, writes, so she wrote for all of the the Harlequin Kiss books and that whole evolution, and she writes for Presents Now. She's just one of my absolute favourite authors on the planet. Her books are spectacular. And when Tuli first came about, it was, again, conversations between authors with pipe dreams, you know, saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And so yeah. um, a bunch of authors had said, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? the time that's you know self-publishing and kind of all these new publishing houses and ebooks when that was all becoming really starting to become a thing and they said wouldn't it be cool if we they're prolific writers they wrote a number of books for for harlequin a year but had time that they thought well i've got time to write more what else could i do so they decided to self-publish um a connected series of books and created truly publishing to 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 um within to do that and from there, those books did really, really well. They loved it so much. So they opened it up to other authors that they knew and said, if anyone else is interested or we might contact you if we think there's a book that would fit a certain program. And so Kelly Hunter was one of their initial editors. So she'd gone in as an editor and contacted me and said, would you be keen on doing something for me? So I was like, yeah, totally. Let's let's do this. And so she wanted a, she had, a, had an imagining of books about honeymoons, whatever that meant to you. So it can be a book that's set during a honeymoon or a honeymoon can be in the background and so I had this idea about a girl who, whose best friend had just become a travel agent, so wasn't very good at it, and so booked JJ, the heroine, onto a cruise <laughs> holiday late one night over many cocktails, said, let you be my first client, Let go on a cruise, you need some time off because life and books are on a cruise, but the cruise ends up being a cruise for over 70s on their second honeymoons. So you've got all of these like grandparently types <laughs> oh on their second honeymoons. And then you've got JJ, who's like 24 and like <laughs> brilliant. So she becomes like a kind of bit of a mascot of the crew. <laughs> and the hero is he's in charge of kind of recreation activities. He's like an ex-sporting star who's sort of in hiding on this cruise. And so all of these secondary characters all of these you know grandparently people are desperate for JJ and Kane to get together so they become like these fairy godparents who are like doing everything they can to try to like get these two kids together so it becomes this they become involved in the whole thing and 
yeah, it was it was delightful. And it was so I loved it so much that Hazel, who was one of the you know the septuagenarians, who was just the very <laughs> unpolitically correct, very very wealthy, very very sure of her own position in life, decides that she was so amazing at helping. JJ and Kane get together that when she comes home from the cruise, she's going to start her own dating agency, you know, in her mid-70s. So too much time <laughs> on her hands, too much, too much you know, um, love of herself and her her abilities. So that's where suddenly I had all these other ideas of like the kinds of stories that could branch off from there. So this one book, um, Kiss Me Quick, ended up becoming um second book was love me tender and the third one tell me true and so all and all of those ones are set in this mm-hmm. cinderella project is the name of the the dating agency that that hazel starts up which is just it's it her ideas are all very very 1950s kind of ideas of how a woman should you know how women should go about catching a man just terrible advice <laughs> that that she gives so it's also <laughs> that the couples get together despite her rather than because of anything that she actually does to help mm-hmm. them so yeah, real sort of um, sweet rom-com <laughs> series that, and I have visions of it being like a TV series too. So if anyone out there is listening, thinking that this sounds like a good idea for a TV show, I can. I, I think that <laughs> I have visions of like just you know everything be like yeah. the couple of characters that you ship over the the course of the season, you know, and as well as all kind of each week there could be a different couple mm-hmm. gets together. And yeah, yeah. So I see it as a TV show. So just putting it out there in the world. <laughs> So let's chat your most recent release, The Millionaire's Melbourne Proposal, which is the romance between Nora and Bennett. Can you share how the romance between these two came to you? Well, I tend to, most of my books tend to start with a really kind of small seed of an idea. And usually that kind of meet cute. So the way that they first come together on the page, that's all I know when I first start a book. And then I'll just sit down and just chapter one and just start writing from there and see what happens. So... Sometimes it might come from like a working title or a lyric from a song or, or something that I just kind of think, oh, I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. So this one started out with The Girl Upstairs was this kind of idea that I had of this kind of The Girl Upstairs, how The Girl Upstairs becomes The Girl Downstairs. So I kind of imagined her living upstairs in this kind of, you know, two-story duplexy type place and he'd live downstairs and whatever would ensue from there. Um, so in the end, The Girl Upstairs lives in Melbourne and the boy who I imagined living downstairs lives in London. So um, for the for basically the first half of the book, they live in two completely different countries because Nora is living in a house with Bennett's um, adopted grandmother and when the grandmother passes away, she mm-hmm. leaves the house to Bennett and Bennett has no intention of ever coming home because of life reasons conflict and Nora is just stuck there so she's stuck looking after this house doesn't want to leave the house alone she's ready to move on but can't leave the house until Bennett comes home and does the right thing and takes on his responsibilities um and so that's her determination is basically to get Bennett home so that he can clear up whatever issues he had with his um with his grandmother before she passed um since she's passed away just to kind of you know come up with closure and be able to move on and feel like she can move on with the rest of her life except as she's doing all the convincing she and Bennett start to grow feelings for one another across the airways super fun (laughs) we absolutely love Nora she has her own business called the girl upstairs and in chapter one she describes herself as footloose and fancy free but we learn she is also someone who has experienced a lot of broken promises 
Was there anything about Nora you hoped would resonate with readers? I think she's, I love a a heroine with moxie. I love a heroine who, no matter what's happened in her life, just kind of is able to pull herself up and go, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to face the world no matter what. And Nora is just the epitome of that. She's someone who um, came from a sort of a, a rougher background where she was basically for all sorts of reasons told that she was too much or she was not enough and so has had to kind of pick herself back up so many times and by the time we meet her she kind of it's almost like she's held she's held together with you know sort of sticky tape and staples and and blue tack and whatever else she can do to kind of you know keep herself held Mm -hmm. together but she presents to the world (laughs) like like a ball of sunshine because that's part of her armor or part of her sort of weapon of keeping people at bay is just to be constantly helpful and happy and 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 but never make kind of really deep connections um because the idea of wanting home or wanting connections when so many of those things sort of failed for her when she was younger is just too much to ask for uh so her absolute sort of determined effervescence I found just so um bittersweet and so heartwarming and um, really joyful to write and I think having Bennett who is quite stoic and quite sort of solid you know feet on the ground um, he's also a natural helper but in a way that would be more kind of quiet behind the scenes but when he you know his whole life is quite grey where he is um, and quite kind of dank and grey and he does he does very well for himself but is he doesn't have much furniture in his house because again it's like you know sort of his idea of putting down roots and having a home is a bit messed up because of his childhood as well. So when he meets this sunshine girl, it's like, you know, he, no matter how much he'd try to keep out the sunshine, she just blasts him with it to the point that he starts to thaw and he starts to warm towards her. And yeah, watching that, that kind of, um, I really enjoyed the the kind of feeling that the sort of changes in her where she starts to get rocky knowing that no matter how much sunshine she blasts at him, he can see through her. Um, he can see through it. And for him, it's like just watching yeah. Thor was just, mm-hmm. yeah, really enjoyed. A really fun aspect of the book is the correspondence between Nora and Bennett. They don't actually meet in person within the first few chapters of the book, but we get these fun emails back and forth and phone conversations. So what inspired that choice to have these two get to know one another in I mean, I hate to say an old fashioned way, but it kind of at this point in, you know, 2021, it feels old fashioned and it's so sweet. And I love when we get that in romance. I don't see it too often, but when Mm -hmm. we do get it, it's just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Once upon a time, you did talk to somebody on the phone, you know, before you, you know, saw him again or for the first Mm -hmm. time or whatever. So what inspired that? I think it's one of those things is the fact that they were so far away. It started it kind of evolved on its own without any kind of plan for me. And it, mm-hmm. one of those things that, you know, she starts, you know, when she first hears about the fact that this person far, far away has been given the house and they go through, you know, they're talking through lawyers, which is done through email since they're so far away until Nora being Nora says, ah, oh, that's enough. I'm just going to find, you know, I'm just going to track him down and talk to him myself, but starts, you know, trying to butter him up and trying to warm him up through emails. And she basically tries to, to sparkle, to sparkle him into coming home. Um, and when the emails aren't kind of working, she kind of, I think she just kind of goes, well, I'm going to try the next best thing. So I'm going to be, you know, calling him. And so, um, and just to, I'm just going to annoy him into coming home. And so I'm just going to be like, I'm going to call you same time tomorrow. And, <laughs> um, 
and then sort of once the FaceTime st- stuff happens, I think that kind of takes a bit of a turn as well because since they're actually able to see each other and to to see the expressions on each other's faces when they're talking to one another and to get a bit of a look at sort of see one another in their realities, they start to, that kind of changes the relationship as well. And it was a really accidental kind of thing. And I write long. So my books are meant to be about 50,000 words, but they always end up being closer to 70, which is just crazy. But that's the way <laughs> I work. That's the way they, the books come out. Um, and what, what I love about that is it means that when I do have to cut those kind of 15, 20,000 words, the book that you get at the end is tight and succinct and it has as much story shoved in there as it can get in that short amount of time. Um, but for this book here, I kind mm-hmm. of reached, I think I'd reached, and I write out of order as well because whatever idea grabs me, that's a bit that I write and somehow it magically all comes together in the end. But I'd hit a point where I realised I was getting close to my close to the word count and I thought they haven't, it's like 25,000 words in to this 50,000 word book and they still haven't been together. They're still not on the page together. And I thought, well, either I'm going to have to get rid of all of that or I'm going to make that conscious decision to go, Mm -hmm. it's a book in two halves. So I literally had one file for the first half of the book and one file for the second half of the book just to go, I'm going to make sure that this book gets to halfway like this before Bennett gets on a plane and, and comes home. Um, mm-hmm. so it was a, that from that point, it was a real, that became a real conscious decision to, to be, to kind of go back through and like ramp things up by going from, you know, email, the phone calls to, to video chats, um, which was once I had, once I knew that structure was in place, I could have so much more fun with it because then I could really time out kind of the, the little moments that things click, 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 clicked up in gear, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like it was, as you said, I felt I, I felt like it was something that could work, even though it was a bit unusual. Um, I could still feel as I was writing it that you could still get that kind of warm and fuzzy. You could get those feelings, even though they weren't actually on the page together. Yeah. It was almost more intimate, the fact yeah. that it was kind of two of them in a, and oftentimes it was like, you know, if it was Bennett in his house and he's come home after work and hasn't even turned the lights on because he's so tired, so he's just sitting in the dark and she's sitting in a sunroom at, you know, at her end where it's nice mm-hmm. and nice. And so there was something kind of intimate about it, even though they weren't even in the same space, which was, yeah, really lovely. I'm going to stop. Can you stop? For, see, I told you I'd be the so first let's one. Talk I'm, going to, I'm going to stop for a second, let my dogs in <laughs> because they're barking like crazy. Take, so your, time. Take your time. Take your Working from home. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Let's get into some writing questions. So early bird or night owl, what time of day do you feel most productive with your writing? Uh, That's changed over time for sure. Um, So when I had, when the kids were really little, I would basically be mum all day long. And then as soon as they were all in bed, I would get in the car Mm -hmm. and drive to a library that was open late or drive to a late night cafe and sit down and write for a few hours at night. And my favorite time of doing that was uh, there's a cafe near where I live, or it's about a 15 minute drive where I live, which is famous in the city that I'm in for having a fake Eiffel tower. It's like a mini Eiffel tower. And underneath is this cafe that's open 24 hours. (laughs) And it's owned by sort of, it's owned by um, an Italian man and it's frequented by lots of Italians. So I would go there in my, you know, exhausted 
mumness and turn up and sit at a table and it got to a point where I'd be there three nights a week and I by the time I'd get there they would have my white chocolate macadamia cookie and my latte just come out to me as I arrived because I would always offer this, I would always buy the same thing and then there would be like a table behind me of, of gentlemen speaking in Italian to one another while I was writing so it was like very inspirational um so that was just that was great I loved that uh, but now that the kids are all at school, so um, my my writing time now is more sort of in the morning, get them ready. Then I have to have a little bit of time just to settle mm-hmm. in, have a coffee and faff about a bit. And then mid-morning I tend to hit my stride. So kind of mid-morning till, till two or three-ish is when I get um, most of my writing done. And then it's back to real life again. So, yeah, things things definitely have changed as my lifestyle mm-hmm. has changed. And that's the, kind of the cool thing about writing as well is that you're able to adapt to where you are or find new ways or find new times or find new places um and that's something I think is really common with writers is having to kind of learn how to adapt to to where and when which is cool that we can are you a plotter or a pantser pantser for sure so as I said earlier just all I start with (laughs) is a tiny little idea and I'm so so lucky having been with the same editor for for so many years so Bryony and I are still together and she bought my first book and the, I, I feel so grateful that there's sort of trust in me that if I say, oh, it's a book about a train boyfriend and that's it and it'll be like, I, and then things happen and things go wrong and things go right, la, 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 and then she'll be like, great, sounds awesome. And so um, and I run out of order and I'm all over the place and it all comes together in the end. But the only time I've really had to plot something out is a few years ago. I was given this amazing opportunity by an advertising firm who were uh, – their client was a winery and so they were putting out a new sparkling rosé and they wanted, it was kind of after Fifty Shades of Grey and they'd had this idea of having a romance author write a journey on fake, like have a fake Facebook page about a girl called Arabella Rose, which was the name of the new sparkling rosé that was coming out. And they decided to call it 50 Days with Rose and wanted to follow this girl's journey on kind of a big romantic journey for 50 days. So they... Um, hired me to write three posts a day about her. She's decided to head off to London and Paris and and have these kind of romances along the way. But the whole time there's kind of this overarching kind of will they, won't they with a with particular guy the whole way through it. So having, oh, wow. it was just the most amazing experience um, working with this really brilliant advertising agency in Sydney and for them, it was something like they'd never done anything like it before. Um, and for me to have to kind of come up with a concept where I could literally map out, uh, you know, I had to really plot out kind of the arc of a romance novel, but spread it out over Facebook posts, which were only, you know, two lines long. And every now and then they mm-hmm. had images too. So it was this massive thing that I really had to think out what's going to be all of the different kind of plot points along the way that are going to give it sort of ups and downs and have a conflict. And I really had to plot it out for them to trust that it would work um, and as well for me to be able to then kind of shape out the story really clearly over those 50 days. You can still find it too. So if you go on Facebook, it's, yeah, 50 Days with Rose. So facebook.com slash 50 Days with Rose. And if you have Apple products, I think you can actually download it as an ebook as well. Um, it was a it was a blast. So that was my, my one time. It was really fun. But apart from that, I just fly by the seat of my pants. I hope that the little muse dude turns up helps me along. So you mentioned that you do write out of order when you start to write for the morning. Do you read over what you've written before or do you just go ahead and start writing? I tend to go ahead and start writing because I can get really bogged down in the reading. I could 
mm-hmm. rewrite the first page anytime I read it. So even once a book's been published, I could easily go in and change 10 things. So it's much better for me just to kind of know where I'm at in my head. I'll either kind of, I'll either have like a little note because I use Word to write. So I have a little note there that says current bit. And then, so I know if I kind of search for current bit, I can find where I was at the day before. Um, or, I, or I'll have thoughts mm-hmm. during, the, you know, if I'm writing during the day and I'm having, I'm thinking about the book as I go about my life, there'll be little kind of like notes of like, oh, what about this? What about this? And I can just go in and start writing something completely new from those ideas as well. So the less going back, the better for me. So my first drafts tend to be very bitsy mm-hmm. and very messy, but it all magically comes together in the end. I think that's kind of the magic of books is when you read a book, you honestly have no idea how it happened, that it could have been most books, most lovely, great books read like they were written in one sitting, that someone just sat down and went, once upon a time, la, 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 whereas the the way they, and some people do, some authors I know write, they will not write the next word until the one before it's perfect. They want it to be a really clean first draft as they go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I write all over the place. Um, some people I know plot intensively, you know, 20, 30 pages of, of story notes, they interview characters, they do all sorts of things before they start. I unearth all of that as I go because if I knew all of that, I'd feel like I'd written the book and it wouldn't interest me. I like the surprise. I like the yeah, uh, yeah the surprise along the way. Like one of my books, which is um, A Mother for His Daughter, which was set in Italy. I have a thing for it, Italy, as you can tell. Um, it was set in Italy mm-hmm. about a girl who goes to Italy looking for her father and she ends up meeting a little girl by the Trevi Fountain and then the little girl's lost and goes help find the father and the father is the hero who then ends up sort of hiring the heroine to come and be sort of a nanny for his daughter for a while while she's looking for her father. And so it kind of helps them both out of a bind. And in the writing of this book, you know, it's, a, it's an older book, so I don't mind a bit of a spoiler, but in the writing of this book, I'm writing, writing, writing something about the hero and about the little girl and he's lost his, his wife died um, a while ago, so he's got this little five-year-old girl who's just adorable, blah, blah, blah. and then in the writing of the book, suddenly, as I'm writing, the words are coming out of my fingers that it's not even his kid, it's actually his brother's kid because his brother was the one who got the girl pregnant before she... <laughs> I'm like literally writing, I'm looking over my shoulder like, can you believe, oh my God, I had no idea. And so that kind of moment of surprise that this hero is raising this child who as his own, you know, even though it's not, you know, this whole kind of Mm -hmm. extra level. And if I'd, that kind of, I'd hope that considering I had no idea that was coming, that readers wouldn't have seen it coming as well, even though something that the muse knows is there's little clues happen along the way that you can look back and go, that makes so much sense. But I love the surprise of it and hope that that kind of feeds through to the reader as well, that they'll get that same kind of surprise in those moments that I had that I might not have been able to get away with if I knew what was coming. So hence the fact I don't plot. Mm -hmm. Are there any necessities you need around you while you're writing? I need coffee and my laptop and Pencil and paper. I love really cheap 2B pencils and really nice notepaper. So I have to have that at hand all the time. And my bullet journal, which I adore bullet journaling. And Mm -hmm. so that always needs to be within reach, whether it gets used or not. It's like a little comfort blanket. And I much prefer noise. So um, the last couple of years having to work from home, Mm -hmm. I am so easily distracted. There's the fridge, there's the TV, there's washing to do. Like, why is that even a thing that I would care about when I could be writing? But I'm just very easily distracted. 
So going out and writing in cafes is my bliss. So being able to, and cafes are patrons of the arts, truly. Like everywhere that I've lived, I've been able to find cafes who are absolutely happy for me to rent a table for a coffee and a, and a bicky. Um, and they're just wondrous places. And all that white noise really helps me focus. So, um, yeah, I, I'd much prefer to be writing mm-hmm. at a rock concert than I would be in a quiet room. So, yeah, so the last couple of years of having to <laughs> working from home has been like a, a, more of a struggle than, than usual with not being able to get out as much. So every time I am able to get out to a cafe, it's just it's like heaven. So happy. Do you set daily writing goals and do you have any advice for anyone looking to set their own writing goals? No. So, but I do, there's an app I love and there's other ones you can get that are similar called Writometer, which is a Pomodoro app, which is, uh, so Pomodoro is the, is um, when you write in 25 minute increments, it's like a little bit of research that's been done to say that, that sitting down and getting work done for 25 minutes is a really comfortable amount of time for people to be able to get stuff done. And as I've mentioned before, I'm really Mm -hmm. easily distracted. So having a timer on my phone, that's like a 25 minute countdown means every time I look to my phone, whether it's to do research or check Instagram or whatever random stuff drags me there, I see this timer counting down. It's like, Oh no, I can't look at that yet. Get back to writing. So that's been a lifesaver for me as a way to uh, yeah, so writing in those little 25-minute spurts. Um, I know people who do writing in a certain number of words, so they're not allowed to stop writing until they've written 350 words or, or whatever it is that works for them as well. But honestly, there's, there's lots of Pomodoro. Mm-hmm. If you just Pomodoro, you can find these little um, – but Writer Meet is one that I especially love because it has uh, – you can track your words as well, so you can write down in each writing session, you know, how many words you've written in that session. Um, it has writing quotes that are quite passive-aggressive, oh, wow. which I find hilarious so it's like anytime you try to turn the clock off it's like really (laughs) is there something that's really more important than what you're doing right now which I think is hilarious so um, (laughs) which works for me I think that that, whatever that is it kind of you know hits my buttons so uh yeah so rather than having a, a writing um you know amount that I aim for I just just try to keep myself you know on task for a goodly amount of time do you have a specific like computer program that you use for writing? I Word. I love Word. And I've looked into other ones like your Scriveners and things like that. But over, you know, 20 odd years, I've created lots of my own templates. So templates for when I first started a book or templates okay. for backstory for my hero and heroine or um, there's, there's kind of certain things that I do when I'm sitting. So when I have that tiny little idea, I'll literally just start writing in a Word file. But then bit by bit I'll have maybe I need to know kind of what they, I'm imagining what they look like. I'm quite a visual writer. So then I'll have Pinterest pages. And so I kind of branch out from there, but I always start with just, you know, classic word file um, that I have set up the way I like it to look when writing a book. And I've stuck with that. I, and I don't really go to paper that much. I just, I'm pretty much just all on the laptop, all on word. It does the job. For any aspiring writers who may be listening, are there any writing craft books you've read or courses you've taken that you recommend? Uh, I think for someone who's not a plotter, uh, for me, when I had to plot out 50 Days with Rose, I used Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, which is a screenwriting book, but it absolutely transposes to writing of uh, popular fiction as well, because it talks about kind of the, the ebbs and flows and the beats that you'll find pretty much any movie that comes out that is a blockbuster hit will hit these certain moments, certain things happen at certain times 
to the point that it's become part of our DNA, that when we watch a movie, we kind of, it's almost like our, our synapses start tingling at a certain point in the movie because we know something terrible is about to happen or we know something amazing is about to happen because we've seen so many of these, read so many stories and seen so many movies that follow mm-hmm. the same pattern. So <clears throat> Save the Cat was a really good one. And whether or not you you sort of agree, you don't have to structure a book in any way, that, you know, you can structure a book however you want to, but it's something that for me I've found at the time if, I suddenly found myself in a hole or thought something's missing from this part. If I went back in and looked at kind of the plot points in in that book there, I was like, oh gosh, if I had an up instead of a down here, it would make, it would make sense. So that's probably the Mm. one that I found the most helpful. Um, Round out questions. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think... Like a couple that I read in the last couple of years that I really loved that were unexpected. There were ones that just I read and was like, were The Hating Game by Sally Thorne and uh, Red, White and Royal Blue by okay. Casey McQuiston. Just ones that I'd sort of heard rumblings of good things about, but when I read them just went, oh, my gosh, these are just delightful. Again, those kind of books that make you your cheeks hurt from smiling that – that give you that, as you say about the Harlequin kiss, you know, you feel like, gosh, those books would be so good for now. Like those kinds of books that just you read and you go, oh, that was just this whole experience. So those were a couple that I really loved for the last couple of years. Uh, who was your teenage celebrity crush? <sighs> Multiple. Um, so Eric from The Little Mermaid would be <laughs> one. Fine. And that's totally allowable, right? Like, okay, it's totally a thing. Now Flynn, now Flynn Rider is my go-to Disney hero. Like I'm low-key obsessed with Flynn I Rider. agree with you on that 100%. Yes. <laughs> I may, as a 47-year-old woman, just have bought the Flynn Rider Funko Pop that's about to come out, which I just, and as soon as I, I pre-ordered it, and I just went, what? I don't even know who I am, but I'm living my truth by doing this. So... I adore him, but yeah, Eric, like the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid was just my absolute bliss when I was in, you know, when I was younger. And uh, um, River Phoenix, yeah, River Phoenix was my real life yes. love. I remember being in high school and having mm-hmm. a moment where, because you know, being that I am in Australia, I still had a moment where I just went, I may have just breathed in air that River Phoenix breathed out on the other side of the world at some point in his life. It was like this. I remember the like realization of like there may be a molecule inside me that river phoenix has breathed out it was like life-changing um so i saw him and i had a real fixation on jfk when i was younger as well so to the point that my poor husband we got married in las vegas and honeymooned around the states and i may have gone to several kind of kennedy sites when we were over there that I we I may have sort of slightly accidentally <laughs> broken into their beach um in their place in Hyannisport and just went to the Kennedy Museum and all sorts of like m- my husband was like he had a point where he just went I'm going shopping you can go to the library I'm not even going there so um <laughs> but yeah so I, I I go deep when I when I have my crushes when I have my celebrity crushes that's funny name one film you'll never stop watching oh my gosh there'd be dozens like if I wasn't writing books I'd be desperately trying to write screenplays because I'm just a huge movie buff um there's certain ones that if they're on and you flicking channels and you just you cannot leave like um Field of Dreams is one I would have seen Mm -hmm. a billion times I sobbed watching the Yankees 
play the White Sox, you know, a week ago when they played at the Field of Dreams field, like just, you know, I just, oh my God, that was just like, I was like in like a vortex of heaven in that whole thing. Um, I love like pillow talk. I've seen a zillion times and every time I watch it, I'm just blown away by the screenplay of that film is just, there is not a single word that is out of place. It is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I love like some, like Leap Year. I don't know if you guys seen Leap Year. It's one of those ones lots of people haven't seen. It's got mm-hmm. Amy Adams and Matthew Good, who is my uh, hall pass, and it is look leapier. Look it up. It is delightful. It is. It's one of those ones that I've seen a million times that lots of people haven't. So go watch it. Um, what is one hill you would wholeheartedly die on? Um, I'm pretty cruisy. Um, something that I find myself talking about more and more of late is the fact that I think series romance novels should be required reading for young men. I think that um, any teenage boy, considering the kinds of things that they're exposed to nowadays, sort of compared to when we were little, to to balance that out with reading a Harlequin romance novel would give them so much insight and information and um, on what it actually means to be in a relationship with a woman. And so much of the what we write about in the books is about respect and self-respect and putting someone else first um, and as well as self-care. It's so much balance. I think by the time you get to the end of a, a Harlequin romance for all the ups and downs and, and the things that the people have gone through by the end of it, it's so much about... Um, having a balanced relationship where they're, they're both as important as one another, their needs are being met, they're both caring for one another, um, mm-hmm. how, to, how to make a, a woman, you know, how to romance a woman, how to, how to um, treat someone you're attracted to. Like there's, it's almost like a how-to manual for, for sort of the, what, <laughs> we, what we like and what we expect, what we deserve. Um, and... I honestly think mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, having young, you know, teenage boys reading Harlequin romance novels would be a, like a really good, true lesson for them in what relationships should look like. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I love it. Yeah. Agreed. What is one of, what is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? Oh, I tend to love friends to lovers, enemies to lovers books. And I was thinking about this. I think it's because since there's already history between them, and the series romance books, since they have to fit so much story in such a short space of time, when you've already got that kind of conflict or that slow burn or that crush or that conflict in the past, you've got so much juice that when they when the story starts, they hit the ground running. So there's 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 so much they already know about each other that they have to kind of undo and unpack that it's it's you've kind of almost leapt into the story mm-hmm. halfway so that you have to just kind of hang on tight. Um, yeah, so I think the ones where the, the hero and the heroine already know each other in the past are my favorites. I think I know the, or I think we know the answer to this one, but is there a category romance series you wish never went away? Yes. I loved Kiss. The Temptation yep. as well. Like the <laughs> That's old, what I thought. Yeah. And the old Temptation books were just, yes. oh, some of those, some of those writers who thankfully some of those writers have gone on to write single title books or gone on to write their own series like Jill Shalvis, like, um, that when there's, you know, when they still like to write series of books and things you can follow on, but oh my God, they were just that, the, the kind of 
the slip and slide and and grin and all of that kind of that experience of reading those books and your temptation mm-hmm. and your kisses as well are just it's just warm fuzzy fun delight it's love it miss them uh, tough love what's been one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever been given oh, I actually don't know I'm a bit of a I have like a really terrible memory and I tend to only keep stuff in my head that I like so <laughs> given me any tough love advice <laughs> it's, a good it's that impossible Pollyanna thing too <laughs> um at what point in your writing career did you realize your stories meant something to your readers oh gosh this isn't this is another topic that I love to talk about is um I'd love to do I, I like when I'm I love writing I also design book covers I also do a lot of workshops and library talks and and I love kind of doing a variety of things around the writing I find that really sort of helps keep me um keep my muse happy um but one of the things I really found when I started doing a lot of talks is the stories that people would tell me about the times that my books or other romance novels have helped them through really hard times so people would come up to me and say, mm-hmm. I've just gone through chemo and your books were my absolute lifesaver. I just had one in my bag every time I went and it just, the the the, the feeling of hope and joy and laughter just got me through. Um, it's just like to, the, to hear that kind of stuff is you're sitting in a little cave somewhere writing a story that you think is delightful and you are so happy to put out in the world. But then to think that that has gone out around the world and and help someone or mm-hmm. uh, the, the stories about people who've, uh, you know, had one lady who'd lost her husband and said that being able to read about kind of romances was able to help her sort of reconnect with that part of her life and just, oh, my gosh. And there's um, a story a, a friend, a writing friend from way back at the beginning was a lady called Hannah Bernard, and she had a letter one day from a soldier in Iraq, so this is how long ago it was, who was... I think he might have been 19, and he sent her a letter to say that they were sent care packages over there. So sometimes it would be, you know, food from home or letters from home, but part of the care packages would they'd be sent books. And he, in his care package, picked up one of her books. So it was sent a Hannah Bernard Harlequin Romance, 19 years old. He read this book and he said, this book is what got me through because I had to get home to be able to experience what the people in this book had. I wanted to go home so that I could fall in love and I could meet, you know, meet a girl. Oh, and just, oh my God. Like to think that the impact that these, you know, these little stories that, that we pen and, you know, send out to the world truly can, can make on people is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, far bigger than what mm-hmm. I would have expected going into this. Um, people who have a hard day at work and go in the bath and read you know read a romance novel and can just like smaller smaller things it's not even mm-hmm. just the big stuff it's just the everyday the the impact that these that these romance novels have on people's lives on giving them some joy and solace and hope is immeasurable i think it is hugely it's important mm-hmm. it's impactful and it's it's nutty that i get to do that it's very very cool 15 years from now you're writing your memoir what's the title Oh my gosh. Um, once upon a time. <laughs> Very on brand. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. So my hook on my website now is that I write fairy tales. I, I write fairy tales for grown-ups. I think that's that's the kind of stuff that I write. So it's like, I think that's one thing about Harlequin Romance is it's like real life with a bit of fairy dust sprinkled on top. So I think once yeah. upon a time. 
I saw that on your website and I was like, that's true. I believe that. That's delightful. Her. Absolutely delightful. Um, knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Not a single thing. I think I was really lucky that when I was first writing, it was pre, really pre-internet, pre-Facebook, pre-everything you need to find you find online, pre-advice from people who may be in the same situation you are. Like I think there's so much information out there, so much white noise out there that you could easily kind of get lost in it and not sort of trust in yourself. So I think the fact that I was writing into a void I was literally just someone who had read my entire life, had watched a zillion romantic comedy movies, had all of that kind of knowledge of story inside of me. So when I was writing, I was just writing for pleasure, writing mm-hmm. things that I would love. And so I think I think I was really lucky not to have any of those other voices in my head. So if I went back and said anything, it would only muck everything up. So I'm really glad the way I went about things, I just feel very, 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 very lucky about. Can you share with us what you have coming up next? Well, I'm writing, uh, I actually have about three books coming out in um, maybe in Australia. I'm not sure where else they're coming out that are, well, they're all reprints. So I love something that's amazing about writing for Mills and Boone is that you often have an opportunity for your books to come out as special releases in triple packs with other books, other authors. And so I've got about three of those coming out Mm -hmm. in the next, I think, August, September, you know, September, October, there's a few coming out. Um, which is very, very cool to see older books getting getting a, a new lease of life. Um, as for something new, I'm nearly finished the next book now, which in my in my head is called Heartache Number Nine. So it's about a girl who's had eight heartaches in her life to the point that she's written them down in a special book and got to a point when she was, you know, <laughs> like said, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to have any more heartaches because Heartache Number Nine is going to be the one that kills me. So I'm not doing it um, until, you know, start of our book she meets the hero and then so there's the whole like um yeah so that's kind of the, the conceit of it and nearly nearly finished hopefully I'll be sending that to my editor in the next couple of days. I need it we yeah. need that one <laughs> so good oh my gosh <laughs> and I hope they keep the title please keep the right? title I love yes. it. I love my working titles my working titles are so important they're such a touchstone for me it's like as soon as I open the book and see the working title it's like I can hear the soundtrack. I can see the, you know, I can see the colors. It all, yeah, really helps me write. And lastly, where can everyone follow you online? I'm kind of everywhere, but I'm mostly on Instagram. I love Instagram. I'm quite a visual person. So I love the, I love the photographic nature of Instagram. And so that's Ali, at Ellie Blake Writer. And I'm on Facebook as well, which may be Ellie Blake Author, I think. And mm-hmm. Pinterest. And I think I have a Twitter account, but it's only just stuff that comes from Instagram and Facebook. So I'd say Instagram and, and Pinterest. Um, and I have a few little bits and pieces on YouTube as well, including one of my favorite things is when, um, the, when Honey got married, um, I was lucky enough to have a like a voiceover artist who, or a guy who records audiobooks, get in touch. And we got talking about, for some reason, we got talking about audiobooks and he was asking if the book was coming out. And I said, no. And I said, look, I, I don't even know how audiobooks work. This is from a number of years ago. Um, talk to me about it and I'll do an interview with you and I'll put it on my website. And so he he asked whether he could do a little audio snippet of when my book and when, um, when Honey Got Married. And so I have that on YouTube and, oh, my God, it's worth a listen because his drawl, his Louisiana drawl is just gorgeous. So oh, if you have a look on YouTube, type in <laughs> when Honey Got Married or type in Allie Blake and just have a listen. It goes for three or four minutes and it is, it's, it's life. I love it. We will find it and leave yes, a link to definitely. it. Well, this has been such an honor to finally Absolutely. get the opportunity to speak with you. 
please oh, come lovely. back. I mean, maybe we need to either buddy read a sweet dreams or yes. a kiss novel at this point. Yes. You decide. Yes. <laughs> you guys pick because I'll have it. Whatever you guys find, I'll have it. That would be brilliant. Right. <laughs> Challenge sweet, accepted. Right. The sweet yes. dreams Woo. are a little difficult for us on this side of the world to find, yes. but <laughs> maybe no, the kiss. The kiss will probably be easier. Oh, easier, yeah. Awesome. I'm so sad that like sweet dreams, like they're not on ebook anywhere. Like that just makes me sad. I'm like republish this series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, didn't one of you guys get the Sweet Valley High like 10 years later book as well recently? Was that? I did. It's on my shelf. I've got, I got it too. I, I haven't read it yet, but I got it too. It's sitting on my shelf as well. So I, I bought it the day it was released, which was yeah. many years ago. And as one fan to another, just try and <laughs> there's a there's a there's an epilogue at the back that I kind of went really. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I was I was much more of a sweet dreams girl than a sweet Valley high. So I like the sweet Valley high, but the sweet dreams sweet dreams were more. Yeah. Well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes, Sarah, and I will have all the places that you can find Allie Blake so that you can keep up with her. We will also have links for her where you can find her books via Harlequin's website, Mills and Boone UK and Mills, Mills and Boone Australia, depending on where you are in the world and you purchase your books. <laughs> or if you're like Sarah and I and you're in North America and you order from all three, just depending on just the covers and the sales, you know, so <laughs> make sure you check it out again, Allie. Thank you so much for giving us your time and hanging yes, out with thank us. You. We, we can't wait for you to come back. We're just saying we can't yes. wait for you to come back. Yay, me too. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be part of this world of yours that I am absolutely obsessed with. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so thank much for having you. me. Thank you. All right, everybody. Sarah and I will talk to you in our next episode. Have a lovely day. 